0: you take a seat? Uh, The reading this morning is from the book of Genesis and it's chapter 30, it's starting at chapter 33 verse 18 and going to chapter 34, 31 and you can find that on page 37 in the Red Bibles and we do have Bibles in other languages and versions at the back and the page numbers for those are on the screen. So it's Genesis chapter 33, starting to read at verse 18. After Jacob came from Padan Aram, he arrived safely at the city of Shechem in Canaan and camped within the site of the city. For a hundred pieces of silver he bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. There he set up an altar and he called it El Elol Israel. Now Dina, the daughter Leah had born to Jacob, went out to visit the women of the land. When Shechem, son of Hamor the Hivite, the ruler of that area, saw her, he took her and raped her. His heart was drawn to Dina, daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. And Shechem said to his father Hamor, get me this girl as my wife. When Jacob heard that his daughter Dina had been defiled, his sons were in the fields with his livestock, so he did nothing about it until they came home. Then Shechem's father Hamor went out to talk with Jacob. Meanwhile, Jacob's sons had come in from the fields as soon as, they heard, had, as soon as they heard what had happened. They were shocked and furious because Shechem had done an outrageous thing in Israel by sleeping with Jacob's daughter. A thing that should not be done. But Hamor said to them, My son Shechem has his heart set on your daughter. Please give her to him as his wife. Intermarry with us. Give us your daughters and take our daughters for yourselves. You can settle among us. The land is open to you. Live in it, trade in it, and acquire property in it. Then Shechem said to Dina's father and brothers, let me find favor in your eyes and I will give you whatever you ask. Make the price for the bride and the gift I am to bring as great as you like and I'll, pre- I'll pay whatever you ask me. Only give me the young woman as my wife. Because their sister Dina had been defiled, Jacob's sons replied deceitfully as they spoke to Shechem and his father Hamor. They said to them, we can't do such a thing. We can't give our sister to a man who is not circumcised. That would be a disgrace to us. We will enter into an agreement with you, on only one condition, that you become like us by circumcising all your males. Then we will give you our daughters and take your daughters for ourselves. We'll settle among you and become one people with you. But if you will not agree to be circumcised, we'll take our sister and go. Their proposals seemed good to Hamor. And his son Shechem, the young man, who was the most honored of all his father's family, lost no time in doing what they said, because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. So Hamor and his son Shechem went to the gate of their city to speak to the men of their city. These men are friendly towards us, they said. Let them live in our land and trade in it. The land has plenty of room for them. We can marry their daughters, and they can marry ours." But the the men will agree to live with us, one people, only on the condition that our males be circumcised, as they themselves are. Won't their livestock, their property, and all their other animals become ours? So let us agree to their terms, and they will settle among us. All the men who went out of the city gate agreed with Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male in the city was circumcised. Three days later, while all of them were still in pain... Two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and attacked the unsuspecting city, killing every male. They put Hamor and his son Shechem to the sword and took Dina from Shechem's house and left. The sons of Jacob came upon the dead bodies and looted the city where their sister had been defiled. They seized their flocks and herds and donkeys and everything else of theirs in the city and out in the fields." They carried off all their wealth and all their women and children, taking as plunder everything in the houses. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought me trouble. You have brought trouble on me by making me obnoxious to the Canaanites and Perizzites, the people living in this land. We are few in number, and if they join forces against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. But they replied, Should he have treated our sister like a prostitute? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thanks very much, Joe, for reading. Um, My guess is you might have a couple of questions in your mind at this point. One of which is, uh, is he really going to talk about this and, and talk about rape, which the answer is yes. Um, the other is, are the children out there looking at this passage as well, to which the answer is no on this occasion. Um, they are looking at chapter 35. Chapter 35 is uh, uh, where this um, uh, kind of lands uh, after this, but this chapter makes sense of that in lots of ways. Um, some of them will uh, briefly allude to it. Um, And so we're going to take a look at it now, Um, and do keep your Bibles open if you would. Um, I was able, um, a couple of uh, just a couple of weeks ago actually, to be a part of a a Church of England um, trip, uh, so to speak, that went to um, Bosnia Herzegovina and to Sarajevo and to Srebrenica. um, uh, Some 25 years or so after the conflict um, ended there. Um, and it was, uh, this is a, a picture of um, the uh, uh, Memorial Cemetery at uh, Srebrenica, uh, where over 8,000 uh, were killed. Um, and in part of understanding the, uh, the peace that is there now, um, and the complexity of it, and the way it is in lots of ways contested and uncertain, uh, also what came through was the understanding that had come through that conflict and that war, um, of the place uh, where rape had been used as uh, a part of warfare, uh, and the implications of that for the generations that have lived uh, with the consequences of it. Um, Perhaps an increasing understanding uh, in that particular region. Um, This series ends, uh, the the one that we've been looking at uh, through this term ends here, maybe fittingly on Remembrance Sunday, as we think about uh, conflicts that have come before. Um, Maybe fittingly because what we've called this series through this term is God's promises unfolding in the mess. And perhaps it might surprise us, but the worst mess of the story is kept until the end. Uh, This passage um, here, uh, the worst uh, mess in the story. We're going to look at it under three headings, and the first of which is, Um, the silence uh, of Jacob, and um, I'll just pick up the story. Uh, The reason we have the very end of chapter 33 read is because of where we've been. You might remember if you've been with us, Jacob um, had made his way out of the clutches of his um, uncle Laban. He would managed to get himself free um, from that, and he's uh, he'd come back to the land where he was supposed to be. And in fact, we have just seen a reconciliation had happened with his brother Esau. So we may be thinking, when we read, that after he came from there, he arrives safely at the city of Shechem in Canaan. So that's the land he's meant to be in. We may think things are getting better. Uh, there's been a reconciliation, and it looks like things must be on the up. What we're meant to think, as he arrives in Shechem, we're meant to remember that... Due Some weeks ago now, chapter 28, uh, when he had a vision of God when he was on his way out, he said to God, if you look after me, I will come back here, and that place was Bethel, and I will come back and I will worship you here. And when we read that he's come back, and he's come back to Shechem, it's not quite as far in as Bethel. And we're meant to have that ominous feeling Um, Some of you might know the story of King David, and it's often said at the start of the the story of King David and Bathsheba, that we're told it's the time when kings are meant to be off, out to war, um, but David isn't, he's kind of lounging in his penthouse, and while he's not there, he sees Bathsheba, and there's something ominous about the fact that he's not quite where he's meant to be. It's very similar here. When he arrives in Shechem, we might think things are on the up and things are are, are coming together. But actually, we're meant to think, you're not quite where you said you were going to be, Jacob. And what unfolds here, and I guess we know this partly because if you get time to read chapter 35, you'll see uh, Jacob, the first thing that God says to him after this episode is, now get yourself along to Bethel where you said you were going to be. um, And let's make some spiritual progress So he's back in the land, um, and what happens, uh, he's been here probably, uh, he probably stays here for maybe 10 years or so, just judging from the ages of the children. Because Dina is now maybe 15 or 16. Uh, And all I need to say is that, for those of the platformers here, that's the age of one of our platformers, say. Uh, She goes out uh, to visit the women of the land, uh, on her own, perhaps that's a lapse of Jacob's in not looking after her. When uh, then Shechem, son of Hamor, appears, so he's one of the local rulers. Shechem is the prince; uh, Hamor is the, the king of the of the local area, so to speak. Um, and when he comes on the scene, we're given three words: he took her, he saw her, he took her, he raped her. And we're meant to sense the increasing brutality of that. He saw her. He took her, he raped her. And then just as complex, three words follow that in verse 3. His heart was drawn to her, he loved her, and he spoke tenderly to her. And I think we're meant to sense the complexity of what What do you make of that? Uh, those words appear to be... Uh, at odds with what we've just heard. It is in some ways, and um, some of you will know, and you might have heard me speak on this before, um, much later um, in the book of uh, Samuel, ar- around the time of David, uh, David's son Amnon uh, takes and rapes uh, Tamar. Um, when he does so, we're told at that point that he rapes her, and then he is disgusted with her. And it is like almost the opposite, but equally horrific, here, he takes this woman and rapes her, but then he falls in love with her. And we're meant to feel that sort of, what do you do with that? What, what is going on? Jacob uh, finds out, verse 5, he hears that his daughter has been defiled, uh, um, his sons were in the fields with his livestock, so he did nothing. Uh, literally, he kept... He held his peace. Uh, He doesn't even seem to send for his sons, but when they come back, they are shocked and furious, as we might imagine, uh, because Shechem had done an outrageous thing in Israel by sleeping with Jacob's daughter. And the narrator says, a thing that should not be done. So the narrator speaks where Jacob doesn't seem able to. Jacob doesn't seem able to face what should have been faced, and he can't seem to say what needed to be said. So the narrator does it here for him. The silence of Jacob is followed by the silencing of Dina. What follows in much of the rest of the story, if you were listening uh, through it, you'll be thinking what's going on here. It's largely a set of discussions, negotiations about uh, Dina where she is a vehicle for their interests. So, firstly, you get Hamor and Shechem. I said they're sort of king and prince. So, they come on the scene, and to summarize, they're mostly interested in tribal relations and trade. So, they come forward and they say, well, look, why, why don't uh, you give us uh, your daughter in marriage, and then you can we can trade together, and you can have property here, and um, uh, there'll be a sort of you know, good economic benefit for everyone. Uh, the sons reply. So, if they talk about trade, uh, tribal relations and trade, the sons reply, and it appears to be about um, honoring religion. So they say, well, we couldn't possibly do that because you guys aren't circumcised. So to honor our religion, you would need to be circumcised. So it seems to be about honoring the faith and the religion. And both sides are lying. Now the sons are lying because this isn't about honoring religion. This is about revenge. And they are weaponizing Mm -hmm religion. So as the uh, story goes on, you probably uh, saw they they make the stipulation that they need to be circumcised, um, and uh, they agree to this. Uh, Hamor and Shechem go to the town, and they say, look, this seems like a good deal to us. We can trade with them. We just need to be circumcised, so why don't we agree to their terms? Verse 24, all the men who went out of the city uh, agreed with Hamor and his son, and every man in the city was circumcised. Um, so they, uh, they agree to that, but three days later, while all of them were still in pain, so presumably the three days is to maximize their weakness, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, now Simeon and Levi are Jacob's full brothers, uh, sorry, Dina's full brothers. Um, Simeon and Levi are her full brothers. you remember the layers of the family and the different mothers there were? Um, So it's no um, mistake that it's Simeon and Levi. They are her full brothers. They care for her, concern for her. But what do they do? They took their swords and attacked the unsuspecting city, killing every male. There is a massacre of those. And in fact, they then loot the city and take the women and children and take them away. So they had suggested it was about honoring religion, but they were lying. In fact, it was about revenge. Shechem and Hamor had suggested it was about trade, but in fact, it's actually about Dina. So when they come and say, look, this is about us relating to you, actually, this is about uh, how Shechem wants Dina. And it's very hard to get our heads around this, but verse 19, the, the young man, this is Shechem, Uh, the one who was uh, most honoured in all his family, lost no time in doing this, in uh, in agreeing, because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. And the word delighted, um, it is hard to get our head around it, it's what we would call true love. He has fallen for her. But they are lying in the way they present this. And when we get to the uh, episode where then they are killed, verse 26 Uh, When they come in, they put Hamar and his son Shechem to the sword, and they they took Dina from Shechem's house. Now, why is this important? Only now, only at this point in the story, are we told that Dina was raped and has been held prisoner in his house all of this time. Only then are we told they were lying. I don't know where you thought Dina was in the story. As they have these negotiations, sometimes it can seem as though perhaps she's just to one side, watching on as they talk about her. In fact, she was prisoner in his house. The moral mess here, do you see it? It's not there's one good side and one bad side. They are lying. They are using her. Dina is the silent figure in the middle of this. And no man speaks for her. The silence of Jacob, the silencing of Dina, and the God who speaks into this mess. It ends with a real note of tension. Uh, Verses 30 and 31, there are two opposing voices. Firstly, Jacob says to Simeon and Levi, "'You have brought trouble on me "'by making me obnoxious to the Canaanites and Perizzites, "'the people living in this land. "'We are few in number, "'and if they join forces against me and attack me, uh, "'I and my household will be destroyed.'" Here is the voice of the appeaser, and he is driven by fear. He is worried about his allies, he is worried about his place in the community, and so he dare not speak. And it's responded to by verse 31: Simeon and Levi, they replied, But should he have treated our sister like a prostitute? They have massacred every person, every man in the city and taken the women and children. Here is the voice of the Avengers and they are driven by fury. And we're meant to feel how complex this is. It just leaves you there. And there is so much that is wrong in this chapter and it is not just a mess, it is layers of mess. Um, One of the things I, I suspect we need to see, and again this might be news to you if you're new to Christian things or to the Bible even, is that the Bible looks squarely at the rape of Dina and the rape of the city and isn't afraid to. Should she have been treated in this way? Of course not. Should they have massacred so many? No. We're meant to sense how complex this is. And it, in facing that, it's partly facing our own human brokenness. I'm aware it touches on uh, profoundly important topics Um, This book is called um, On the Threshold of Hope, uh, Opening the Door to Healing for Survivors of Sexual Abuse. Um, It may be that at some point you want to talk with some of our ministry team here, whether that's uh, myself, whether that's uh, Debbie, our pastoral care minister, uh, whether that's something you might want to uh, talk about. I'm aware of the way in which this touches the histories that we have. And perhaps the greatest shock in the story is that God is prepared to continue to move forward spiritually with this family. That this isn't the end of the story for them. He doesn't simply cast out Jacob and his family that he's prepared to move them forward spiritually and, and geographically. I said that what happens in uh, chapter 35 is that he moves them uh, on. Uh, chapter 35 is extraordinary in lots of ways. Uh, he reaffirms his relationship with them. And you might find yourself asking, how on earth can he do that? How can he be prepared to do that with this family? And in lots of ways, that is what the Bible will spend the rest of its time beginning to unpack and answer. How can a God deal with a humanity like this? And perhaps as we bring this series to an end and this passage, the thing we need to take away with us and the hope that it offers is here is a God who sees and sticks with broken people. Broken people like us, With broken sexual histories. A God who says, This is who I came to save. This is who I move towards. There is no shame that you can have that I cannot move towards and meet you in. And in the Lord Jesus Christ, in his Son, It's quite literally the case. This piece of land I spoke to you about at the start um, has quite an important history. Um, The place, Shechem, where they are, the land um, that Jacob has here that he bought for um, a certain amount of money, um, he gives it to his uh, son Joseph at the end of Genesis, um, chapter 48. Um, And Joseph uh, inherits that from him. And it gets mentioned at various points. It's the place where um, Joseph is buried eventually when the people return to the land um, after their years of slavery. And then many centuries later, it is the place where Jesus arrives in. I wonder if you would just, if you've got Bibles, would you jump to page 1066 and John chapter 4? Page 1066 and John chapter 4. This uh, plot of land, Uh, he arrives in this place, and John points out for us exactly where this is. Uh, He says it's near the plot of ground Jacob had given to Joseph. It's near this plot of ground where Jacob had given it to Joseph. It's been in Israel's history. And he's at a well there, and you might know the story well. Uh, At this well, he meets a woman. And it's a woman who, uh, given the uh, culture of that day and that time, he does an extraordinary thing where he moves towards her and he asks her a question. He speaks to her. And he invites her to speak. And as they, as they talk, as they discuss, he does a remarkable thing, which he uh, scarcely does very often, which is he reveals himself as the saviour of humanity, as the rescuer. He reveals himself to know her and as the one who sees her in the mess of her life. You may know the, the complexity of her life. And he says, I've come for you and I've come to you. On this same plot of ground, I do, I wonder, and I have wondered this week, what the Son of God walks on earth And he comes to this place, knowing Israel's history. I wonder what he had in his mind. And was it the silenced Dina? Did he bring her to mind as he invited that woman to speak and said, tell me your story. Tell me your story. I have come for you and your story. Jesus moves towards us. He he moves towards you. That is the kind of God that he is. He is the one who says to you and I, and please know this this morning, this Remembrance Day, he's the one who says, I, I move towards you. I am the only one who can help you through this mess. There is no mess that you have that is greater than what I can do for you. Lord, we lift these prayers of our hearts to you, looking to your Son. In his name, Amen.